Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now we're at the 36th of our sermon series on the letter to the Hebrews. We've reached the sermon's final section. It's an application that begins at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and will continue until we reach the final greetings in chapter 13, verse 20. So we should expect a long list of direct commands in living the Christian life. And our scripture this evening is where the pastor builds upon his encouraging application in verses 39 through 40 of chapter 11. Now, do you see it there? It's page 1008 in your pew Bible. And all these did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Our Old Testament brothers and sisters were still lacking in two essential elements. The Lord Jesus Christ had not yet been revealed, and the fullness of the Gentiles, the proclamation of the gospel throughout the entire world had not yet begun. And so the pastor, as it were, pulls back the curtain to show that behind the actions and the lives of the Old Testament believers in their suffering and in their achievement through faith that have been displayed up front in the footlights to reveal the pattern to which they all pointed namely the sufferings and achievement of the greatest of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christ had warned his disciples that some would be delivered into tribulation. They would be put to death. They would be hated by all nations for his namesake. And the persecution would not only come from political authorities, but from religious ones. Jesus told them they would be excluded from synagogue. Anyone who killed them would imagine that they were doing God a service. So we can see where Hebrews' emphasis takes us. It is in your union in Christ. We know that the believer in union with the Lord Jesus through faith is immensely rewarding. We've seen this over and over again as Hebrews stresses this again and again to this harassed, tiny congregation. For it has an eternal triumph. So to die is to gain. Listen to Hebrews 10.35 again. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. But it is not easy. And we know why, don't we? 
Scripture is consistently clear. There are two classes in humanity, those in Adam and those in Christ. To live in Christ among a world still trapped in Adam demands steady perseverance. It demands discipline and endurance. There is no other option. So we see how pastoral the minister to the Hebrews must be as he transitions them gently from his great conclusion in chapter 11 to these opening words of chapter 12. And we can be encouraged in the same way by the very fact that we too are surrounded by those former contestants who are witnesses to us of God's faithfulness. But notice the vital point here as we make this transition, that although Old Testament believers can inspire us, they cannot strengthen us. How does Psalm 121 say it? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Earthly strength human strength, human wisdom, all inevitably will fail. So these necessary qualities of endurance and perseverance that every believer needs in every age, all those in Christ, must come from the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always look to Christ. Now, why is this the case? Because as fully man, he can be our example And as mediator, fully man, he can make our endurance possible. He gives us the necessary help we need. This term of confidence is repeated again and again in Hebrews. That confidence is in Christ. Listen to it in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help in time of need. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So to try and describe this across the ages, pastors have used many metaphors. And here we find a favorite, that the Christian life of endurance is like a race, a marathon, the long-distance race. And we have this vivid athletic imagery here as the pastor tells his small Jewish Christian congregation what they must reject, how they must run, and where they must look. So look at that first one there, what we must reject. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now notice how the language here is very specific to the long-distance races of the ancient Greek games. Now there was a uniqueness to those games. And that was that previous champions were honored. 
as appointed referees of the contest in which they had excelled in their athletic lifetime. And so in the same way, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us are all those believers who have received the crown of life that does not fade away, like the Greek crown of laurel leaves did. The Old Testament believer has taken their honored place on the dais to encourage and support us as we take our places in the starting block. And so in the same way as they, where Hebrews 11 tells you and me that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, this faith that drove the Old Testament saint across the finish line is the same faith that we share with them, the same Christ, the same confidence, the same promise. That is what beckons us on. They have finished the race. We must run ours. So this is a call to clear-cut discipleship. Notice there is no qualifying language here. The language is extreme, it's stark, it's in black and white. There is a throwing off of everything. Now this is a reference to the stripping of one's clothing before a race, as in the Greek regulation of the games. And do you see the double emphasis here that we also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely? So we're commanded to strip away every hindrance and of sin. Notice how it's so specific here, too. The sin which clings so closely. Now, what's that about? Now, that's a reference to our specific sinful behaviors. The ones that you or I, as individuals, are most likely to commit. You see, each of us have characteristic sins that more easily cling or entangle than others. Some sins that tempt and degrade, one holds little appeal for another and vice versa. It may be specific to a time of life. It may be specific to our gender. Men, for example, must constantly guard their eyes to not look upon a woman a second time, as Job swore for himself in the Old Testament book that bears his name. It's because the second time will stir the temptation into a dwelling sin to think what may be done in sensuality. Now, what sensuality does not lie in wait for one Jealousy may instead. Some may never be dishonest or misleading in speech and action, but just step ever so slightly over the boundary of what they see as their entitlement, and you will feel the heat of their scorching temper, don't you? Ask yourself then, My dear friend, as we begin this new year together at All Souls Anglican Church, what is the sin 
that clings so closely? Can you even name it easily? If not, then my dear friend, then you must begin there. Because denial is at work in your heart. It's already dulled your conscience before God. It's black and white here. It's there, my dear friend. What entangles you? Whatever sin it is, it must be stripped and left behind. And notice the second command. Lay aside every weight. The weight that hinders. Now, do you understand what's going on here in Hebrews? Not all hindrances or weights are sinful acts. In fact, a hindrance is something otherwise good that can weigh you down spiritually, that can distract you from the prize at the end of the race. It could be a friendship, an association, an event, a place, a habit, a pleasure, an entertainment, an honor, recognition. If these otherwise good things distract you, you must strip them away. It may be ostensibly harmless. A location, a forest, a section of the city, a website, a social media connection. That because of your past may still lure you downward. Such locations may be, must be tossed away and forgotten. Appreciate the extreme language here. If we are to finish well in faith, we must strip our souls naked of every weight and sin that clings so closely to us. Imagine for a moment what the Old Testament saints are shouting from the grandstands to you and me, their placards being held aloft to encourage you, the costumes that they're wearing, the words spelled out in messages across the rows in the grandstands. They're shouting this message to us. Strip yourself of these things, my dear brother, my dear sister, they shout. You will never run to the end of the race if you do not do this. What is called for here is a conscious, systematic, careful set of examination using the rule of God's word and the reality we have in Christ to divest ourselves of all hindrances and all sins. And we must do this regularly. Why? Because our memories are fleeting. Habits can reassert themselves. And all it takes is one step to trip and to fall. All it takes is one hindrance to sabotage and dull the heart of a believer in Christ. Properly stripped, though, there remains one great thing to do. It's obvious, isn't it? It is to run. How we must run is what's next. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The secret is to run with endurance. It is not to view progress in human terms, turning side to side to measure yourself against another. The point is to make it to the finish. Why? 
For at the end is the object of your faith and trust. Your loving Savior is waiting at the finish line, shouting his encouragement to you. Yet we can so underestimate the reality of what's going on around us in the Christian life, can't we? We can become pedestrian in our attitude. Take for granted what we have in the Lord Jesus. For me, I always remember that old Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare. Do you remember how it went? Well, the hare takes for granted that he will win. He's naturally swift, so he stops and rests by the roadside and is soon asleep. But the tortoise, the plodding tortoise, wins the race by placing one slow foot in front of the other. My dear friend, you are not a hare. We are all tortoises in Jesus Christ. The race is not to the sprinter. It's to the faithful plotter. Fast or slow, strong or weak, all must endure. Have you noticed how Hebrews has been specific in what hinders and what civil behavior clings to each one of us? And we can now see that each of us has a specific course set in God's providence because the course itself is unique. But the glory is the same. Each one of us, no exceptions, will finish the race that is set before us. I cannot run your course, my dear friends, and you cannot run mine. But we can finish the race together. How is this possible? It's because we both, through faith, remain focused on its object of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where Hebrews takes us as he concludes where we must look in verses 2 to 3. Do you see it there? Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, it's here in verses 2 to 3 that our encouragement reaches its apex, its highest point, as we are told to look to Jesus. In those first few words, we are to look to Jesus. How? Because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, what's going on here? Well, by insisting that we focus on Jesus rather than on his title, the Christ, Hebrews wants us to focus in a very specific place. It's into Jesus' humanity. It's what we saw here on earth. And just to make sure that we are to focus there, Hebrews adds two titles for emphasis. He is the founder. Well, how is he the founder? Because he became flesh and dwelt among us, as John's gospel tells us. The force of the Greek here is that he is the pioneer who has gone ahead first before all others. He's the pioneer and founder of all faith in both the Old Testament and the New. He initiates all faith. He bestows all faith. 
And that is how Paul describes your relation to your pioneer and founder in Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember it? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, he is the perfecter of our faith, the founder of our faith. His entire earthly life was this very embodiment of the trust in God that Hebrews is stressing here. He perfected living by faith because he lived his entire life with total dependence on his heavenly father. It's his absolute trust in God's promise of final deliverance that would bring many sons and daughters to God in glory that became the one thing that kept his focus as he made his walk to the cross that enabled him to endure life in a fallen world. It's glory marred and wounded to destruction. He endured ridicule and flogging and torture, rejection and mocking, crucifixion, desertion, and left him perfect in faith. His spiritual pain was even greater, my dear friend, because he knew no sin, but became sin for you and me as God's wrath was exhausted upon him on the cross. So his life and his endurance is the gift he gives to you and me. He endured the cross, despising its shame. Now what does that mean? He thought of it as nothing. He dismissed it as nothing. Why? Because he knew its end. It was to bring many sons and daughters to God. You, my dear friend, were the prize that he kept his focus as he went that way as your mediator and mine, the founder and perfecter of our faith. As the old folk hymn sings, what wondrous love is this? O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this? O my soul. What wondrous love is this? that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Focus on Jesus as the founder, the originator of faith. It is there that your strength will come, Focus on him as the fully man, the fully God, perfecter of faith. His life of obedience, his passive obedience in submission to the cross, his active obedience of total dependence upon our Heavenly Father was all done as something to bring to you and to gather you in and adopt you as his son and his daughter. Focus on his joy that enabled him to endure the awesome agony of the cross because you are part of that joy. 
Now notice how Hebrews concludes. He addresses our present reality. All of us will grow weary. All of us will have faint of heart. But the force of the Greek here is fascinating. The first phrase translated, grow weary or faint-hearted, is actually the technical term for the runner's exhausted collapse, where they have nothing left. The bonk has come, and every bit of energy is gone. But the second is the cure. We are to calculate carefully. The word used is the one that we gain in English for logarithm. Jesus and his endurance to those who might oppose him. We are to remember his confidence and his meekness, his steel-like strength in his encounter with the opposition. Again, we are to carefully consider. We are totally absorbed with Jesus Christ. And such an absorption must therefore require negation, a turning away from those things that distract us, a stripping away of those things with the corresponding positive, focusing, meditating on Jesus Christ. My dear friend, it's the beginning of a new year. This year, this is the year you must begin to read and reread the scriptures. Adopt a plan that works for you. This year must be the year that your worship must be focused on Christ with a regularity and a purposiveness in his work and his person. Because he, my dear friend, is the measure of all things. He is there shouting to you to come, come to him when you are weary and faint-hearted, and he will give you rest. Because he can claim that he has become king of kings, lord of lords. He sits down at the right hand of our heavenly father, and he becomes the measure of all things. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church ancient truth, real people, new life.